Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders that are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders and teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and doing it predictably and sustainably. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Exvoyant, the one-on-one sales improvement platform that's transforming how high-growth sales leaders use Salesforce around the world. Create one-on-ones your reps will thank you for and use Exvoyant to help your sales managers create unique plans for every rep on your team. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today we are joined by Daniela Sardi, Director of Sales for Trinet. Trinet provides small and medium-sized business with full-service HR solutions tailored by industry. They free SMB owners from the increasingly complex world of HR with the latest tools and technologies, regardless of the company size. Now, I get to work with sales leaders in 52 countries around the world, and in my work and in my travels, I've had the opportunity to get to work with Daniela. And in a company like Trinet that is ridiculously successful, Daniela is not only one of their top leaders, she's one of the top leaders I've ever had the opportunity to work with. And as I've seen the impact she's had and created within her team, I have been dying to get her on our show. And lucky for you all, that day is today. I'm super excited to have this conversation. Daniela, my friend, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the invitation. Honored to be here. Yeah, I am really pumped. I I love what is happening at Trinet. As you know, I'm a fan of your company. And as I've gotten to know uh, many of the people there, I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know you, Daniela, and watching what you do to create not just one of the top teams at Trinet, but one of the the top teams and most successful teams I've had the opportunity to be around. So I'm excited to dive into what your personal blueprint is and how you do that. But let's start by letting you introduce to all of our listeners around the world who Trinet is and and what you guys do. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, You know, if I really sum up what Trinet does, there's so much that we really have our hands in. Um, If I take a step back, we truly just analyze companies in the U.S. for a living and support them on maximizing current uh, people, HR, operational spend, while creating efficiencies with my technology and containing costs through my economies of scale. So truly, Cliff noted, I'm helping increase the value of your company by controlling the risk and then maximizing the resources. And I do that all with the economies of scale of over 350,000 people. So it's pretty cool. That is awesome. That's it's cool. And I've been, I've been uh, in companies where Trinet has been helpful and I've seen the value that you create. And particularly when you focus in that market segment, those are things that uh, you save people from falling into traps they might not even know exist. Is that probably fair to say? Uh, absolutely. I see it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I, I can't wait for our listeners to get a, like a, a little bit of an introduction to you. How'd you get into sales how did it find you or did you find it? And ultimately, how did that get you to try it? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take y'all way back um, to my stepdad who, growing up, I had the number one salesperson in my house. Growing nice. up with him and just seeing everything that he did, getting to go on President's Club trips, things of that nature, which, you know, I was young. I was too young to know what that was. I was just like, cool, a trip to Hawaii. <laughs> you know, here yeah. we go. I want that. Um, and yeah, exactly. And so watching him in the way that he was with his clients um, growing up, there was two things that he always told me. Um, and I think, honestly, there's probably two of the best pieces of advice I ever got, um, especially when I started out in my career, because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I just kind of fell into it. Yep. Um, but he, you know, the first piece of advice was there's, you know, millions of people out there that do what you do. And if you have good follow through, basically being a woman of your word or a man of your word, um, then, then you'll drop that down to maybe hundreds of people, if that, which starting out in my career is a hundred percent commission, no base, no nothing. Yeah. They gave me a year to sink or swim. And my very first question when I got the job was, Hey, how do I make the most amount of money? 
Um, and they gave me the secret formula. And from that day forward, I did nothing but that secret formula, which was, really wasn't a secret. It just took more work that more most people weren't willing to do. Um, and got off of uh, a draw in four months, which was unheard of for being in a brand new industry. Yeah. And really just kind of catapulted into, do I buy a Bentley? Do I go for my master's? Do I get a house <laughs> in Vegas? I don't know, Dad. What do I do with my money? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. No, that's, so the that's second fantastic. Piece of, yeah, the second piece of advice that he really gave me, um, which I use to this day, and starting out that helped me kind of figure that out in four and a half months, um, was don't be afraid to have hard conversations. And I see so many people that shy away from that and probably just didn't have, you know, the type of advice or the type of mentor that I did growing up where, you know, everything goes right. That's great. They might not remember you a year to two years from now, but something goes wrong and you make it right. You're going to be remembered for years and years. And most of the time you end up striking up a friendship through that. So at least that's my experience. <laughs> So you differentiate yourself by how hard you're willing to work, but more, maybe more importantly, how, how, how well you follow up. And number two, don't shy away from the hard conversations. We're done, man. What a great show. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's call it good. You do those two things. And now we're back, back to the Bentley conversation. We just done everybody a favor. Yeah, how do you do? <laughs> How'd that lead you to trying that? Um, so I was a hundred percent commission for seven and a half years and, okay. You know, in my early 20s through, you know, my mid-20s and um, right up to the end of my 20s. And it was a fun time. It was a fun ride. But I just felt like there was something more that I could be doing with my life. Um, and I know that sounds so cliche to say that. But I knew there just had to be something different. And so I ended up starting to interview just because I got bored and I didn't want to move to the middle of Iowa. Um, and no offense to anyone who lives there. Yeah, we got a bunch <laughs> of people in the Midwest like, wait the a second. Area. Um, but no, I didn't want to move away from my family and everything. So from that perspective, I just started looking and I kind of fell into Trinet. My, um, my mom and dad own a small family business. And so I didn't go enterprise for that reason, because I still wanted to be able to support my mom and the, the family business and be useful. So I ended up kind of running into Trinet and, um, I, I will never forget it because I only had two interviews and I didn't meet with anybody other than a recruiter and the director that hired me. And, and if you wow. try and get hired here now, it's insane. Like there's these levels, right. That you have to do across the yep. keys and everything. Um, and you know, he asked me, why should I hire you? And I laughed, mind you, I already had another job offer at this point in time. Right. <laughs> I already had the job offer, so I had nothing to lose. And I laughed. I just said, look, I'm a hundred percent commission. I have a $120,000 car sitting in your parking lot. I have red bottom shoes on and my purse is worth your mortgage. So hundred oh percent commission. I like nice things. And he was just, I've never seen somebody's mouth go so wide. Um, <laughs> but you know what's funny? The, I never expected it, but I didn't even make it out to my car. Called me in the parking lot and said, we want you. So I kind of just fell into it and the other place couldn't match what they were giving me. And, you know, I just, Anything that I do, I'm throwing in my, my towel 150%. And I read HR for Dummies. I was I was meeting with every single department in Trinet, trying to figure this all out. And eventually got to a place where I really started to make a solid impact for these for these clients and my customers. And it just, it was such a cool feeling. And you want more of that once you get it. So. Yeah. All right. So that's how you got there. Now, Trinet is a, is a really fast-growing company. You guys are doing great. You have 500 sellers in there. Uh, great leaders in there like yourself. Uh, one of the things that I want to start with today, and I, we'll see where it goes, um, and, and that's what one of the things people love about our show, Danielle, is we find people have a lot of depth like you, and we just we just go with it for a while, okay? And I, I want to start because you and I got connected because we both have this genuine passion for developing other salespeople, okay? And so you're one of the first ones that I got to work with. I want to start with... Because I think this is something that is unique a little bit to people like you and me. When you look at coaching and developing people, if you look at all the things that are on the role of a sales leader, sales leaders have hard jobs because we're asked to do tons of stuff. It's not as simple as just go sell something, right? Where do you put coaching and developing people on the on the role of a salesperson, of a sales leader? Sorry. 
Oh, my God. Um, I mean, it's, if not number one, number two. Okay. I mean, for it. So when I first became a director at Trinet, I didn't have a team. I built my team. So That's that awesome. was the number one thing that I had to do in order to get up and running and ensure that I made my number, which I did. Of course you did. <laughs> so, um, I mean, being able to coach and develop, and it was interesting because never having been a director prior to that, I was mentoring people. And so mentoring is very different when you don't have that hard line up to you. They know you're just trying to help them and get them off the ground. But when you have that direct line and you're telling them, you can't compare an HMO to a high deductible plan. It's just not possible. Walk me through your thought process. You really, you really start to understand like either it's a, it's a knowledge gap or it's basically skill or will is essentially, where is that gap? Right. And so if you can work on finding that out, even if, even if it's your best reps, they can still get better. They can still get better. Yeah. Okay. So I love this. So if it's not developing and coaching, then it sounds like for you, it's hiring. So getting the right people and then developing them. Did I, did I interpret that the right way? Absolutely. Because you can develop people that are the wrong, like they don't have the grit or the emotional intelligence to do the job. This is a hard sell. I will be 500% honest with you there. You need somebody who can cross the T's, dot the I's, very detail oriented, very intelligent, and obviously cares because the sense of empathy is extremely important. Okay. So that's where your priority is. That's unique. So I work with a lot. Most of the time what I hear is my job is to hit a number. Tell me why you have developing, like building a team and developing team. Why do you have that so high? What is it in your experience that has you looking at it that way? Because right now I got a several thousand people listening to you talk right now, Daniela, that are on the treadmill, they're stuck in traffic, they're listening to you right now. And I want the people that are listening to think, okay, you tell me, what's the primary role of the sales leader? What are your top two roles? You just heard what Daniela's are. Uh, talk to me about why it is that those are so high with you. Because like I said, I've worked with leaders all around the world. And a lot of times we have, they'll tell me, yeah, you know, developing coaching is important, but sometimes I just run out of time. Tell me why you disagree with that thinking. So, okay, this is, you're going to laugh. I'm going to movie quote you right now from the field of dreams. All right. If you build it, not they, but it will come. And if you focus on doing the right thing out of the gate, the rest of everything will come into place. Because the more I just focus on a number and I don't focus on developing my people, the harder I make my job down the line. And I see, I see other directors uh, at Trinet and other places that I go to where – it's just, you know, these reps are on their own and either they're complaining or they're getting burnt out or there's turnover. And I, you know, if I'm putting in time to somebody, I want them to be around for four to five to 20 years. I want them to be a 30 in the making where I build them up into what they want to become down the line. And if you do that, they'll stick with you for life. If I moved companies, I know that people would move with me. I'm not moving anytime soon. <laughs> I love trying it. I'm very happy. <laughs> but it's true because the more effort you put in, and these people are so magical. Like, you see them here, and then you see them rise. They, I call it leveling up, which is what my, you know, we're known for on my team. Level up. It's so uncomfortable, and you hate it, and you're going to be mad at me, and I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to be somebody who pushes you to yep. a, a performance level that you hadn't even thought of. And my VP does the same thing with me. So that's an enlightened approach because I think um, a lot of people pay lip service to it, Danielle. I, like I said, I, I get the benefit of working with so many people. And everybody says, yeah, 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 we have this coaching culture. Or, yeah, 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 we do it. And I'm like, okay, so what's your structure? And they're like, I don't know. Well, we talk about this or we talk about that. And one of the things I love about you is when I ask you that question, you're like, Oh, I got my sheet. This is how I do it. Right. I've got exactly, exactly, exactly. You're laughing because you know, it's true. And, um, and so you don't pay lip service to it. You've taken an approach to developing people and you've put structure around it because it's clear to me is because you see it as your primary role. So again, I'm going to stay on this for a minute before we move off. Maybe you, maybe you can, you can help me with this. You're around a lot of other good leaders. You, you sell and are around other companies that have leaders. Why do you think so many pay lip service to it, but they aren't willing to put structure around it the way you do? It is being a, a first-line director. It's a fair question. It's exhausting. There's so much to do. I'm not measured on how great, you know, they feel about their job here or, 
Darley lost it, but you learned so many lessons. We're going to give you a bonus. I don't get paid on that. I get paid on bringing in the numbers, right? Right. So I think people just get so caught up, and I have a mortgage. I've got three kids. I have to, you know, I want to get my master's, or we want to buy another house. And so you have all of these goals and dreams of yourself. But I think for the most part, it's I don't want to call it selfish thinking, but you're putting your needs before your people's needs. And if you, mm. it's almost like a well-oiled machine. It'll work, it'll just work in the background if it's a well-oiled machine. If you don't pay attention to it, if you don't love it, if you don't oil it, you're going to have to consistently hire a mechanic to come in when it breaks down. So it's really two different styles of thought. And there's so much going on where if you don't prioritize the coaching and you just talk about it and you don't put anything into action, then you're still going to get the same results. And maybe some people are hitting their numbers, but their people don't like them as much, or their their people are burnt out, or there's toxicity on the team around the culture, or, or you know whatever these cases are. I'm trying to holistically take a look at my team and how do we become better? Because I'm not afraid to roll up my sleeves and get down and dirty into a spreadsheet. I'll help you with funding strategies all day long. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think just people get so caught up in having all these people and there's all these personalities and there's all these problems that it gets really hard to find time for coaching and making it a priority. And I don't think it's for any lack of them not wanting to. I just think it's, you just get so caught up in the weeds. All right. So let's get into that then. Let's start talking about what it is that you do. And I think that some of the things you do as a, as a leader to get buy-in and, and a bunch of things, I want to spend a little time on this for our leaders. I think our leaders will benefit from getting, uh, just a, a, a glimpse of how you do things. I want to start with one of the things I noticed is I've been able to watch you do some some one-on-ones with your team. You you do more than just have a coaching conversation. One of the things I loved about you, Daniel, is you're very good at getting coaching commitment, okay? You get commitments from people when you're in there. Just and I, That's one of the reasons I love you because that's one of my beliefs. I, I've got the seven deadly sins of one-on-one coaching, and one of them is we confuse conversations for commitment. Can you talk a little bit about how you get past just the coaching conversation and you end up with commitment about what they're going to do differently or what they might do more of as a resist, as a reason, as a, as a, as a result of having the conversation with you? Yeah. I mean, I, so I, we're having tons of conversations every day. It's, it's finding the time consistently to have these specific conversations around. I do them in my one-on-ones or when we're after talking about a deal and how they're going to do things differently. And it's really making them commit to their success. And I tie okay. everything back to individual development plans. And I don't know how many people out there do individual development plans for each and every single person on their team, but that's really important for me because I can tie back if somebody needs to get better at their, you know, FM to RFP ratio or overall FM to close ratio, right? And being able to say, hey, your goal is to buy an engagement ring for your girlfriend and you want to have this elaborate wedding in, you know, I don't know, the Vatican. <laughs> you know if they do that. But it's going to cost you a lot of money. So in order for you to have this $100,000 wedding with this $50,000 ring, we're going to need to improve you considerably in these different <laughs> areas. And so are you willing to, you know, do A, B, and C in order to get 30% better throughout the next, you know, six months? Maybe it's 2 to 3% better every day. I don't know. But really tying everything back to their, their commitment to their individual development plans, whether it's hit President's Club, it's make $300,000 because then, you know, we can start a family, whatever it is, tying it back to their personal goals and their professional goals is the easiest way to get them to agree to commit on certain things that they can improve, whether it's around a deal or maybe just overall workflow and process. All right, Danielle. So we're going to go, we're going to push pause on this. We're going to run this one back again now because I like some of the stuff you just said. Um, what I like is you started talking individual development plans, but you didn't say for underperformers and you didn't say for new reps. You said every, you said individual development plans for every rep on your team. Now that's like my, the leadership version of dirty talk to me. So we're going to stay on here for a second. And, and there's a lot of people that think when I have someone that's doing well, I'm just going to leave them alone. Talk to me why you want to have an individual plan for every single person on your team. What, what helped you get to that point? So specifically to the, the top producers on my team, they still have personal goals that they want to hit. 
and they still have professional goals that they want to hit. And I mean, for myself, as you know, I, I hit my goal this year already. My VP is well aware that I want his job <laughs> or maybe in a different market. You never know. And I created an individual development plan for myself. And even as a top performer. Say that again. You created one for yourself. I freaking love it. Yes. Yes. To become You're my girl. A Here's what I think I need to work on. What do you think? And it really opens up for a conversation around just getting better. Nobody wants, if you're good, how do you not want to get better? Those people are always pushing themselves. I'm a type A. Most of the people on my team are type A. Those are most successful people in sales. And if you're not coaching them to their personal goals and their professional goals, what's, I mean, what are you doing? You're missing out on, on your, your number. You should be spending the most time here with your top people versus down here. Anyways. So- so I've heard you do this, and, I, and now you're talking about it on our show. I want to make sure that we make something clear for our people that are listening. This is a lot more than just I want to. I know what they want to accomplish. You use that as a reason to to say the conversation we're going to have is be meaningful because now I know what your aspirations are. But you mm-hmm. then get very tactical. I've heard you do it. I've watched you do it. You you don't just say okay, we'll work hard and we'll see how it goes. You break it down. You, I've heard you use words on this conversation you have with me. Thirty percent better over the next. X months or 2% better every day or whatever, but you, you get to the actual activities that they need to do that will help them get to the next step on their individual journey. Is, is that right? Yeah. I mean, if, it's one thing to say you need to get 30% better, but it's another thing to say what that 30% better means. You yes. need 15 more FM first meetings every month and you need you know, five extra RFPs every month in order to close two more deals at a minimum of this, you know, annual contract revenue. Okay. So the reason I love that is when I was leading a team that had a thousand salespeople, I was young in my sales leadership career. I made a stupid decision. I picked some number that I wanted X number of, of sales calls a day and X number of them had to be to prospects. I just had this random number and then I had reporting around it. Danielle, it's funny as I look back at it, I think I'm the biggest idiot there ever was for coming up with that. So I had this large sales team that is returning these numbers, and I got X number of calls and X number of prospects, but I can't tell you what else that did for me. Does that make sense? And I had yeah. a lot of people who are like, why are we doing this, Jepson? And what I love about the way you do it is since it's individualized for every single person, it may not be the most efficient way for you because you have to understand everybody's individual goals and aspirations. And then you have to help them figure out what the pathway is, but you're mm-hmm. not looking at the efficiency. You're looking at the ultimate effectiveness because that's what helps you win. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to coach somebody who has an 85% closing ratio and tell them you need more FM when every almost hundred percent of your FMs are turning into RFTs and you're, you've already hit your number in March. Like I'm not, if you just coach that differently, right? And you co- so kind of taking it back a little bit, it, he wanted to evolve. He wanted to work larger deals. He's the number one life science rep in the country at Trinet. Probably one of the smartest dudes I know. And I will Second tell smartest. you, we worked. <laughs> of course, besides you, right? <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Um, but no, but so. So for him, it was evolving into working more complex deals. He wanted access to more deals even outside of his vertical because he knows how to analyze those companies in a way that most people actually just don't have the background to do. So we worked on that. And even though it wasn't, hey, you need four more FMs per month and two extra RFPs, it was around things that he personally wanted to accomplish at Trinet. Love it. So the things I've written down so far as I've listened to you were, I can't believe we're halfway through with this conversation. I'm like, can't believe how it's flying by. Job one, that everybody that's listening right now, you should be asking yourself, do you have individual plans for everyone, right? Not just the project people. <clears throat> we want an individual plan for everyone. Number two, are you tying it to their individual aspirations? And number three, are you leaving with activity-oriented plans on things they, knew they, they know they need to do differently or maybe more or less of or what's going to change as a result of you guys meeting? Is, do I have those three things right? Yes. Okay. Now, what do you do to make sure that you, when they leave, you have buy-in and 
how do you help them follow up on those things so it's not just see you next week or see you in two weeks or whatever it is? What's your approach as you follow up with them to go from formal planning session to informal follow-up and help? What, what are some of the things you do to help with that? So before we had Exvoyant, now I just use your one-on-one -on -one sheet that we created together, <laughs> which is amazing. Thank you. Um, I, I would use my personal spreadsheet to get the information I was looking for, and I'd recap our conversation after the one-on-one -on -one and send it to them in a bullet format. So that way they could cross off everything that they said they wanted to do and every, you know, request for proposal that they said they were going to bring in. And at the end of the week, or I should say at the beginning of the next week, we would go over what they did last week and did they accomplish it? And then also, okay, so you did that or, hey, you didn't collect this RFP, so let's put that on for this week and go through some of their new initiatives and goals for the week. Do you find that – how do they – so I want to talk about this. So one of the things I find that people that don't genuinely understand coaching like you do, and, and, and this may seem like basic to you, uh, Daniela, but this is such a hot topic, and I see this come up a lot. People that are entering the world of coaching, they're like trying to get serious about it like you already are. I hear them say, oh, I don't want to micromanage, or oh, I don't want them to think that I'm being big brother or I'm babysitting. So – as I've watched you and as I've listened to you, you're not worried about that because I think it's because they know you're genuinely concerned about what they want to accomplish. What are the things you do to make sure that people don't feel like it's just Daniela babysitting me right now? Does that make sense? So, yeah, no, it, I, it all boils down to authentic leadership. Um, and it, it's also situational leadership too, right? Um, around people are going to have bad days where they're not going to get what you need them to get done. Um, and then they're going to have rock star days where you're like, wow, I didn't even have to talk to you or, hey, I had to, to push you along this way. What I've done on my team is individually talk with them around maybe some of the gaps that they're having in success and have them come up with a plan that they want me to help coach them and keep them accountable to. So almost like an accountability partner. And because I'm not throwing it at them, they're giving it to me. And that's my request of them in order to make them successful. Then that kind of changes the game a little bit. It's different when I'm saying, you know, when your mom tells you to eat your broccoli, eat your broccoli, eat your broccoli. <laughs> and then this cool dude Rob over here says, if you eat your broccoli, you're going to grow three inches taller and become a supermodel. I'm going to eat my broccoli. Yeah. So I like that. It's, it's just so it's so different because I'm allowing them to put their plan of action together and with you know obviously my buy-in and stuff like that where I'm just saying hey I would actually suggest maybe adding this or I think this isn't a good use of time and we talk about it. So that stimulates. I've got like three other questions now for you. Like we're gonna run out of time fast, Daniel. I'm sorry. Um, Gal, my first question. Um, I can't wait to hear your answer on this. Can people be taught to be great salespeople or do you just have to hire great salespeople? Um, so, uh, yes and no. And I wrote that question down based on how you were talking just now. So I'm really interesting to hear what you, how, what you say here. So I don't think I grew up a great salesperson. I think my brother grew up a way better salesperson than I am. However, I'm the most, I'm more of the salesperson than he is now. And it really took some polishing. And I think we're, we're, if you strip everything back to its roots, I have grit. I had the drive to make stuff happen. I, I'm very goal-oriented. And my favorite interview question, I'm probably jumping ahead. This is probably one of the three questions you have, um, is around motivation. What motivates people? Why do you wake up in the morning? Like, if you give me the, the typical answer, oh, you know, I want to make $300,000. That's great. Is that really the motivation, though? What does that get you? Well, it gets me this car. What does that car get you? Well, it gets me babes. I don't know. Whatever it gets you, right? <laughs> and really kind of diving in five layers deep of what's your why? Why, 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 why? That's why this year for my team, I know I have to roll up a number. Every, every director knows they have to roll up a number to their VP and their CEO and their CRO. And my number was $3 million. But when I talked to my team about what that $3 million meant, that actually equated to 20,000 lives impacted by Trinet benefits, our wow. 401k plan, everything. I mean, you can't – I mean, the things that we hear of with regards to lawsuits, I mean, people doing unbelievable things while at work, which you – I mean, I, yeah, anyways. 
we all know better, but uh, it's how do you protect these companies? And when you hear these stories, it just blows your mind where it's, if they didn't have Trinet, how would you handle that? It's, it's, it's insane. It's insane. So, so talking to that 20,000, you know, lives impacted, it's all about impact. The numbers, yes, like I said, they will come if you do everything else correct. But if you're not taking the time to step back and make sure that you're building the team and you're coaching the team and you're doing everything else to ensure that the team is going to be successful, I didn't tell anybody I hit my number because I don't care about my numbers. I care about their numbers. And if I care enough about their numbers, their numbers equal my numbers. So I'll hit mine. doesn't matter, right? So if they have grit, drive, and goal orientation, you can make them salespeople? Is that the answer? We need emotional intelligence I mean, because that's a, it's it's a it's a debate that a lot of times I see is can you can you develop salespeople? I, I think you can. I think if you have someone that that wants to, you can create great salespeople. I don't think that you just have to hire the best people and get out of their way. I, I think you for sure can develop great salespeople. I agree with you, but I think they need to have those specific characteristics in sure. order to develop them. If they're not a salesperson, like I wasn't the salesperson that I am today. I had people develop me. I had people spend time with me. I had my dad mentoring me. So from, from that position, it's really, if I break it down to the two most important things, because I can't teach you motivation. I cannot give you the will to succeed. I can give you the skill, but I cannot give you the will. I love that. I can I, work with skill all day long. I think that's fair. I, I think that's fair. I think that, I think that sales today in the modern era is for sure a skill. I think it's a skill that you got to develop. Like, I love what you said. The first thing you did, you started reading HR for dummies. And I, I've heard you now, like, talk like you do. You sound like a you could be an HR expert, right? And uh, so the business acumen you had to learn. You had to learn how to have those conversations. But some mm-hmm. of the other things, and, and and I like that. So so let me let me get into this one. This might be a, even a, a more, I know you're not expecting this one, but I, I can't wait to see what you say. So someone like you, super focused in a genuine, authentic way, helping everybody on your team. And I know it's true because I've seen you do it. How do you know if or when you're actually having impact? Like, I know that when the sales come in, it's easy to see the cash register ring and it's easy to point to that, but that's a lagging indicator. Along the way, how do you know when, like, Daniela is really starting to have success with XYZ person, right? What are the things you look for that helps you know that you're really starting to have impact as a, as a direct manager? Um, their confidence. You, they walk around the office differently. I get phone calls after technology demonstrations. Oh, my God, Danielle, I tried that thing. Remember when we talked about this? I just tried. Oh, it was just the best meeting ever. Um, or phone calls around. I had the best first meeting, Daniela. I used the two questions that you gave us in our team meeting on Monday, and it gave me so much more information. And I get these phone calls where they're so excited. Even just on activity, I've been hitting, you know, three FMs a week, one RFT, Oh my God, this is so exciting. I, 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 I'm, I'm super excited to be busy. Just they, their enthusiasm. It's just, it's so intoxicating. And that's when you know you're making a difference in somebody's life. When they're sitting there, Danielle, how, this funding is this, this funding strategy. I know we talked about this, but here's my idea over here. And they start challenging you back, which is fantastic because I don't always have the right answers. Don't tell anybody I said that. Um, <laughs> don't worry, you just told a few thousand. <laughs> So things like that really help you know that you're starting to make an impact because they walk differently, they speak differently, they ask better questions, they're not afraid to go four to five layers deep. Um, it's just, it's so cool to see. Do they bring different conversation topics to you? Like probably early on, they're like coming to you saying, hey, what do I do? Uh, and do you see things like, hey, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at this. Like I listen to you say they start challenging. Do you, do you see that they bring a different type of conversation to you when they start to enter that world that you just described? Yeah. So typically when people first start trying it, it's about, ooh, benefits and workers' comp and payroll. And as you start getting better at your job and you start getting more confident and you start to see yourself making a better impact, I mean, that's a great foundation. But then you start talking about the entrepreneurial mindset and you start talking about the evolution of this great idea from this little baby seed into this big idea And then you start talking to them about how are you dealing with, you know, ACA, ADA, GEA, LOA, FMLA, and all these things, which start to shrink their little bubble of the idea and really take them away from 
why they got into business. It has nothing to do with everything outside of that circle. It has everything to do with what's inside. And the problem is most people who own or run a business either, A, don't they're allergic to change. Mm -hmm. I love me some Gracie Hopper. She's amazing. And that's one of her most famous quotes. Or they just don't know any better. And that's the problem is only, I'd say, 12% of business owners really understand that there's this whole world of, of, you know, PEO out there that is this more efficient and effective way to run your business because this other multi-vendor approach has worked since, well, I don't know, 1920, 1930, 40, I don't know. And so it's been so prolonged where everybody's just done it this way. Why are we going to change? But once you truly have a good consultant who's confident and understands that the PEO model is way more than medical benefits or, um, you know, workers comp and all these other things that we bring to the table. It's about how do you attract and retain top talent? That's where the conversation gets interesting. How, you know, what was the purpose of your, of your benefits package and the funding strategy you have in it? What were you trying to accomplish? Where are you trying to go in the next six to 12 months? All of these different things that come into play when somebody feels good about themselves or what they're doing. I like that. So Art, you know, you're having success when you see them starting to feel better about themselves. What you said, that confidence is what you said, but I, I like how you finished. They start to feel a little better about themselves. That's such a great definition of our job as leaders. So I'm going to get off that one. Last one I've got here, and then we'll start to wrap it up the way I wrap up everything. And, and you, you're amazing. I knew it would be awesome. <laughs> I wrote down another one as I listened to you talk. How important is it for you that you can actually do the job? How important is it that the job you're leading them in, the job you're asking them to do, the activities you're asking them to do, how important is it that you can you can do it? You can do more than talk about it. You can actually do it. You probably can help uh, reps on key deals. I mean, how, how important is that? Because that's another one that I've heard a lot of debate very recently. Like, I, I don't have to be able to do that job in order to lead the team. Can, can you weigh in your opinion on that? Um, I highly disagree with that, and I think you should know how to do it. <laughs> and here and here's why. So when I look at the most effective leaders at Trinet, they were in the role of a consultant. Or at least they'd have time or have done deals on their own to understand what it takes for a rep to get it from prospecting to first meeting to RFP to proposal to close to implementation and beyond. If you don't know how to do that, how can you expect that from your rep? If something you're not willing to do, I will still get on the phone. I will cold call. I'm still doing networking events. Yeah. I'm still part of these networking groups that I go to once a month, twice a month, right? So things of that nature where, you know, I can't just tell my team, hey, this is what you need to do. I'm literally in the field with my sleeves rolled up alongside them, doing my own thing to cultivate leads for the team or to get the word out about my team or, you know, joining committees, things of that nature. I mean, you, you, you're so much more of an effective leader that your team can stand behind wholeheartedly when they know, oh, God, I've got this issue. Daniela's going to help me out on this because she's going to know where to go. I'm stuck. Or, you know, I'm just having a really bad day. I'm going to call Daniela. And I've been able to say, hey, the year before I became a director, I had the worst year of my career. But that January before I became a director, I hit 80% of my number in one month. Wow. That's awesome. So being able to talk to the emotional uh, journey that a sales consultant goes on because I've been there is such a different conversation than saying, man, that's a bummer. I, 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 this job is hard. I never said it was easy. You can't you, that. If somebody said that to me, I'd be like, all right, this is a waste of my time. I, I agree. I weigh on your side. In fact, I was, I was uh, asked to be on a webinar very recently and that was one of the webinar topics with this panel. It was pretty split. We had a bunch of the kind of, life coach people saying, ah, you don't need to. And the people that had a sales background were like, you're crazy. If you can't do the job, how can you? So I was interested in your take because it's, it's becoming a pretty hot topic right now. Um, let's wrap this up the way we wrap up every episode, Danielle. Rapid fire, three questions real fast. You ready? Ready. <laughs> Number one, biggest sales leadership challenge that you've seen and how do you overcome it? Biggest sales leadership challenge. Um... Honestly, it, for me, it was coming to grips with the failure and success being dependent on my ability to lead them to victory. And that was the hardest part. When I first started, 
it, again, it's a brand new team. And when they felt like they failed, I felt like I failed them. So that emotional journey really sucked my energy and my time versus being where I am now, where I can kind of stand back and be able to coach them through it and not take it so personal. That's a really good one. We've asked this question to a ton of people and no one said that before. Why do you think that's so hard? You know, I think this has to do with me coming from the rep side, the yeah. consultant side, into I love the that. director role. So it's, you know, I, I've been in that role. I know how hard it is. And now that I was a director, if I couldn't give you the right answers or help you close this deal, whew, you're brand new. I'm not. What's wrong with me? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so. Okay, number two. Um, and you've mentioned this, so it may be the same thing, and, and maybe we'll just put uh, put some icing on the cake. Our, one of our listeners' favorite is, Rob, ask everybody, what's their favorite interview question or the go-to piece of information they want to get? So you've mentioned that a little bit. Can you just elaborate a little bit more about your favorite thing to learn in, in an interview from someone? Yeah, so um, to give a two-minute background on this really quick. Yeah. So I was part of a building sales leadership program, and they picked the top 22 consultants um, and even just people in other departments that were just wanted to take it to that next level. And it was a nine-month project. We worked with consulting companies, everything. It was an insane amount of work, but it was so much fun, and I learned so much from it. And as we went around graduation day, there's one thing I noticed. And it was the one thing that we all had in common was the type of motivation that we had. We all had jobs early on. Hmm. The difference is everybody in that room had a motivation for that specific job. So when now I look to my interviews, I ask, how old were you when you had your first job and what was your motivation to get it? I love that. That's awesome. It, I mean, it was the cool, it's the cool, I mean, people look at me in the interview, they're like, what, why does that matter? I'm like, because I was 11 years old, I started a babysitting company, and I wanted the most badass car in high school. I wanted the center page yearbook, (laughs) and that was my motivation. So things of that nature where are you, you know, you wanted to get a car or you wanted to buy a jacket or what? I don't care, whatever it was. But 11 years old, I started a babysitting company at the country club, and I was working seven days a week. Are you kidding? That's such a great story. That's another one. We've, we've got a lot of great interview questions. No one's had that one yet. Uh, and I, I can see why that's such a great insight to the person you're talking to. Um, last one that we've got, and we'll wrap this thing up. Leaders or readers? I don't care if it's pages you turn or audibles you listen to, uh, blogs, whatever. Anything that you would recommend to our listeners on something they ought to be processing uh, and learning about and, and, and reading and if they want to extend and, and improve their leadership journey? Yeah, I mean, other than your podcast, I mean. <laughs> so I can't just give you one. So there's two because I feel like there is, while I'm the same person while I'm at work, while I'm at home, I feel like I need to feed my soul, and then I also need to feel, I need to feed my leader's soul, if you will. Yep. And so personally, the book that changed my life was The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Great and book. it helps me take an internal look at, you know, if I take things personally, am I making assumptions? Those are, those are the two that I have problems with. Um, and the other two I have zero problems with, but those, I constantly work on that when I get upset or, you know, somebody flips me off on the freeway, uh, cause I cut them off, you know, I'm sorry if it's you out there. Uh, you know, I, I try not to take it personally and I try not to make assumptions. Right. So, um, that was a really solid book for me. Um, just better understanding myself. And if I look at my, my leadership style, I, I love um, Simon Sinek's Start With Why, because everything we do, if you bring it back to why you're doing it, other people can get behind it, and it's so much more powerful. And those would be the two books that I would recommend. These were great. Danielle, I love it. This was This was awesome. To wrap it up, we have a lot of people that are leaders now like yourself. We also have a lot of other people that are listening because they want to become great sales leaders. We wrap this interview. Is there any like final piece of advice you give to people that are either early in their leadership career or they're looking to get started in their leadership career? Any one or two things you'd say, hey, do this, focus on this to to help you become the best leader that you can be? Just know there's always people that are better from you, so you always have opportunities to learn. I have surrounded myself with amazing people at Trinet and even outside of Trinet. I've got my VP who's great. I've got 
you know, the head of our, our um, talent, is, you know, as far as training and everything. I have picked her brain before. Just surround yourself with good people who, who really care about you and your success. And in return, give them value with supporting them on some of their initiatives and things of that. And you'll be amazed at how much you learn by helping them with their initiatives and what they're, try- what they're actually going through. Okay, how do they get more of you? You're going to have a lot of people that are going to want to pick your brain. They're going to want to have that uh, coaching worksheet that we've already mentioned. You're going to have people that want to keep the conversation going. Uh, if someone wants to connect, if they want to learn more about Trinet, if they want to keep the conversation going, how do they do it with you? Um, LinkedIn is probably the best approach. I'm on there all the time. I'm the girl in the red blazer, Daniela Sardi, <laughs> here in California. So that's probably the best way. Okay. She has built a field of dreams approach to sales leadership. She has built that team, and the results most certainly have come. Daniela, Director of Sales at Trinet, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, happy selling. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? And I hope it was fun for you to get a, a little taste of Daniela Sardi. She's she's the terrific terrific sales manager. Um, Trinet is a terrific company. They're doing great things, having phenomenal growth, and and they have a lot of great people that work there and have built a a fantastic sales engine. And most of the time I have guests on here that are leading the entire sales org, and I haven't really done enough of frontline sales managers that are leading individualized teams. And so it was fun to do that because when I've worked with Daniela, I really have been impressed with not just the performance of her team, but really her commitment to developing people. And I hope that came through loud and clear. I think regardless of your role, this is the type of manager you want to have and we want to make sure is working with your salespeople. And, and if you go back and break down what it was that makes Daniela successful, what it is that makes her different, there's, there's a lot of things, but there's a couple that I wanted to really point out. The first is role. One of the things I've learned is that role drives everything for a person. It drives how you spend your time and it drives what tools you use because role really dictates what you believe a high value and a low value activity is. So the most important thing to get right when I work with sales teams is what's the role? What's the role of a rep? What's the role of a leader? Uh, We spend a lot of time when we start with companies sometimes um, doing, doing role assessments and use of time assessments. I think you'd be surprised how often role conflict exists for both leaders and reps. It's one of the most important things to get right. And I think that you heard loud and clear, Daniela does not let role conflict creep into what she does. She does. She gets lots of people to ask for lots of things. Uh, but what she has really been able to do is protect that role of developing people. And you probably heard that she doesn't chase the number so much as she chases the individual development. And I think that's that's comes through so loudly in this interview. If you think back to the very beginning of the conversation, uh, she shares that the motto or the theme or the goal of her team is level up. And that's what they're about is level up, finding next level performance with every single person. And maybe this is why I, I really connect with Daniela and the way she leads so well is because my point of view after being a sales leader for years is that is what the role should be is helping each member of the team find next level. And I love how she talks about what the role and the goal of coaching is, is about getting better. It's not fixing broken things. It's getting better. And so if you have uh, an environment where coaching seems to have the stigma as fixing things that are broke and we only get coached if we're missing, then you got a role problem. And so I really would encourage you to go back and listen to this through the lens of role. Because if you can get role consistency and role uh, and no role ambiguity, it gets really a lot easier for you to start having people either accept coaching if they're a salesperson or accept the role of becoming a great coach if they're a leader. And so I really think that that's one of the things that I found is holding people back the most is there's this perspective that, Coaching is often micromanagement, or coaching is what you do for underperformers. And if you're going to stand for we're going to be in search of next level, then all of a sudden it changes, and all of a sudden resistance uh, starts to go away, and all of a sudden improvement starts to happen and happen fast. And I would encourage you to think about the three things that Daniela really pointed out. 
Um, number one, if you're going to accept this role, it's got to be individualized. Individual plans for everyone. It wasn't just for high performers. It wasn't just for the people I like. It wasn't just for low performers. I need an individual plan for everyone. And you probably can remember Daniela says she's got an individual plan for herself. I, I thought that that was awesome. Um, I, I think that um, this is really a good way of making sure that you're only talking about making people better uh, rather than, again, fixing you're trying to help no matter who they are get better. And she talked about the high performers are the ones that are the most focused on getting better. I could tell you firsthand of someone who's worked with Daniela. She's a fantastic sales leader. She's committed to getting better. Uh, it, it was interesting to say, hey, I want you to listen to my one-on-ones, Rob, and let's, let's uh, break them down together because I, she, she says, I know I'm doing a good job, but if you can help me get better, that's what I want. And so that's the kind of leader you want to be is, is someone who attracts people who want to get better. And, uh, and, and that will lead you to number two. If you can get that get better mindset and, and, and be really individualized, then you could do the second thing that she does a really, really good job of, and that's tying to the personal goals for each rep. And what does that really do for you and what does that really mean? And here's what I would say many sales leaders don't do a good enough job at. They struggle to align the personal goals of the reps with the, with the needs of the company. And if you're good, you can make the goals of the rep align with the needs of the company in a way that makes it so everyone's excited about that journey. And too often, you know, we're just pushing quota down to people. I, I really feel like one of the reasons the high percentage of people miss quota every year is just how quotas are made and delivered. And so if you can tie and align to the goals of the reps, then you're going to have different things happen. And then the final thing is is making an activity oriented. And, and a place that a lot of people miss is they think it's about just counting calls or just counting activities. And, and sometimes that's what you need to do. But it's what activities will make it so this personal goal will actually be realized. Showing that you can push the how button, not just the more button. Because at the end of the day, individual improvement comes through individual activities. And so you're going to have to help them identify what are the activities that they need to sometimes do more of, sometimes do differently, or sometimes start doing in the first place. And so if you're not going to have anything change personally, then you can't expect any change to the outcomes. So those are three things that Daniela does really, really well. And it summarizes for me with her caution to be authentic. And the only way things don't feel micromanaged or, or big brother is if you're authentic. And if your team knows you have their interests in mind, they will come to you uh, with the one-on-one -on -one with an expectation of we're going to get better rather than come to you holding their breath wondering what you're going to talk about. So I want to thank Daniela for the time uh, and sharing some of her secrets, some of her blueprints. Uh, I want to thank each of you for listening and subscribing. Uh, again, please, please continue to reach out to me. Let me know who you want me to interview. Please let me know what you like and what you want more of. Uh, please make sure that you're uh, rating us on iTunes and making sure we get those ratings to continue to come through because that's the best way to continue to have the show grow. And as always, don't worry, just execute because we got you. Thanks for joining us for the Sales Leadership Podcast, your weekly pipeline to the most successful thought leaders and rainmakers in sales. Make sure to check out additional episodes at salesleadershippodcast.com. The Sales Leadership Podcast is produced by Brian Jepson and is sponsored by Exvoyant, the modern sales leadership platform for salesforce.com users. You can visit Exvoyant at exvoyant.com.